Hey guys, it's Tim from Sporting Woods, episode 168, another solo episode. Um, Luke and Michael having too much fun uh, spreading the word of lifeblood.com.au. They are both in isolation with COVID. That'll teach them for going outside into the big, bad, scary COVID world. There is so much to get through. Um, what a week in sport. What a week coming up in sport as well. We've got all the favorite segments, good, bad, the ugly, uh, flog of the year, um, American correspondent returns. We've got the courtesy of the European correspondent, uh, Sporting Woods Mailbag, uh, coming back for another Guernsey, Sweezy's, and of course, the spicy matchup sponsored by Sriracha. But we start with the Wednesday night Shane Warne Memorial Ceremony, whatever you want to call it, at the MCG. Over a billion people watched. Let that sink in. A billion people. One in eight people in the world watched that uh, memorial, whatever we're going to call it, at the MCG. What an incredible number. And it just, again, it goes to show the wide range that he had, um, not only as a an athlete, as a sports person, but as a human being. I mean, the amount, or, or sorry, the range of people um, that were in attendance and sent their messages of love from afar. Uh, Chris Martin, Ed Sheeran, obviously well-documented. And then you had guys like Kelly Slater, who... You would have never thought their paths have crossed, but um, I suppose that's just the type of guy that uh, Warney uh, was, and and that's the legacy that he leaves. Um, what about the chick from bloody uh, United Nations Conservation Fund getting a Guernsey um, <laughs> on the stage as well? Um, they're going to name some sort of fundraising uh, efforts after him as well. Um and I thought the kids spoke pretty well. I thought everyone spoke really well, uh, to be fair. Um, some some good uh, light roasting um, mixed in with some, some really nice sort of um, pointed tributes there as well. So um, incredible. And, and just sitting back watching it and just, just taking it all in, someone who doesn't even know him or, um, you know, was just a, an admirer from a distance, Um yeah, not that it was emotional or anything like that, but it, it just, I, I suppose the stage got to me to realize that, yeah, this, how significant his passing is um, for the sporting world, for our country as well. I mean, I, you know, a lot of people don't have come out and said like, you know, it's not as if it's a war hero or anything like that, but, and yeah, we all get it, but like everyone wanted to be warning. Everyone from the age of what, let's say 23 to 70 wants to be warning um he lived an incredible life and uh will be dearly missed not only by uh the fans and and um cricket lovers around the world but also um his family um so hopefully they've um got a bit of closure and are able to to um mourn the loss and 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 get through it now that all the the big ceremonies in the public spotlight um is is off them uh, yeah, long live the king, Shane Warne. Um, all right, let's get into the lighthearted stuff. 
Um, it's the good, bad, and the ugly. It's sponsored, of course, as always, by Sportingwood's Simulated Online Cricket Cup. Head to Simulated Online Cricket Cup on YouTube. Like and subscribe. Check out the highlights. So go into the playlist. Check out the highlights there. 10 to 15 minute episodes. They're a good idea about what we're trying to do or what we we are doing. It's a bit of fun. Uh, give it a crack. That is Simulated Online Cricket Cup on YouTube. Well, it's a double good. Uh, first of all, we'll keep with the cricket theme. Uh, the Australian women. Um absolutely dominate uh, the tournament from start to finish and uh, reclaim the World Cup. Um, famously lost that we didn't get right <laughs> a couple episodes ago uh, in 2017. Um, again, we, we spoke about it over the last couple of weeks. It had that last ride mentality. Um, bit of drama there with the Elise Perry back injury. She literally did nothing the whole game, didn't bowl barely. Um, stayed out in the middle with the bat wasn't required um, some phenomenal 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 performances um, both batting and bowling um, the pitch was just incredible it held up and uh, shiver from um, uh, England um, that innings while historic in terms of World Cup finals uh, will be forgotten um, after the heroics of um, Alyssa Healy um, you know, Rachel Haynes as well. Um, you know, everyone, everyone chipped in and again, we, we harp on about it when in, when these tournaments roll around, um, everyone's got to step up at some point, you know, when's there, when are you going to have that tournament moment? And a lot of Alyssa Healy's innings were good without being great. And, and she fouled a couple of times and not that she was under any pressure or anything like that, but you know, big time players make big time uh, big time plays in big time games. Uh, what better way to uh, have your tournament moment than in the uh, World Cup final? Um, so yeah, asserted themselves potentially is the greatest women's team, the most dominant women's team ever, if not the most dominant cricket team uh, ever, men or women. Um, that that's the significance of of this tournament win and uh, what they were able to accomplish. So congratulations to the girls, a phenomenal effort. Um, let's see how many stay on. I'll be very keen to see uh, who stays on. You'd think, that, you'd think they'd stay on. If I was them, I'd stay on, but you, you never know. They might ride off into the sunset. Who knows? Um, the other good is the teams that, we know that they are who we thought they were. Now we spoke, I spoke a little bit about this last week um, in terms of the overreactions and making, just giving everyone a reality check and making sure that, you know, we all know where teams stand and teams that we uh, knew who we thought they were, were fantastic. Uh, put on some really great performances. Penrith um, in a, in a resounding victory, um, in the grand final rematch, the the bunnies held with them, particularly in the first half, but um, just all class with the Panthers running away with it in the second half, and Melbourne just just absolutely dominated uh, from start to finish. I'll talk a little bit about the opposition in a later segment, but um, again, Parramatta uh, could put them in in that sort of category as well. Flat track bullies able to get on top of the Dragons, who are a shambles. 
um, and just just take full advantage. And and we've seen that from Parramatta over the last four or five years is when they're able to get get a lead and and um, you know get some ascendancy with the referees, uh, they tend to go on with it and they win big. They don't just win by you know twelve or or fourteen. They'll they'll win uh, with with large margins. So. Um, I think they're going to be the three teams to beat. You could chuck in the Roosters there as well. Um, but yeah, the teams that we all thought might be uh, at the upper echelon of the competition all really stood up uh, all in the same week. So a lot of talk over the last three weeks about the competition being so tight um, and all of that sort of stuff. I think this was the first week where you could really take a step back and be like, all right, the teams that we thought were going to be on top look like they're going to still be on top. So um, that would be good for them. Now we've, well, me in particular, I've tried to steer away from um, bagging the referees, but I think it's very important that we discuss it because uh, now it's the second time that a, a coach has come out and uh, basically had the same uh, rant as uh, each other. And I think it's completely justified. So, the bad is the refereeing. Oh, I, these are the, these are supposed to be the top three referees in the game: Grant Atkins, Jared Sutton, and Adam G. Right? You can throw Ashley Klein in there. People are mixed on Ashley Klein. I don't actually mind Ashley Klein. I think he's fine. Um, and I thought the game against Penrith, the Penrith South game, was fine as a casual supporter. Obviously, I've got the bias with the Tigers Titans game. So, you know, that comes with an asterisk. Now, that Tyrone Peachy Sinbin, that is a 50-50 call at best because the player who was playing the ball had placed the ball on the ground before he was uh, fully standing, which has been a 50-50 call at best either, you know, either way because it can be called as if the player's trying to get up too quick or it can be called the player... Uh, so the tackler is holding down. I didn't think it was that bad. Uh, I, I honestly could not believe that it was a penalty, and obviously it was a last warning kind of thing, and he was sent. I also don't like the fact that Grant Atkins is now in the bunker as well. Like obviously, like it's ta- he's taking um, friend of the show Henry Perinara's uh, place in the um, in the bunker because it, it's. Uh, uh, I'm I'm honestly I'm lost for words because to me it just sounds like he likes the sound of his own voice. I mean, so do I, and that's completely fine. I'm not making ridiculous decisions from a bunker um, and thinking that I'm top shit. Uh, th- that's what it seems to me. Like it just seems like he's just gotten in his own head that he thinks he's so amazing and is like just the way that he speaks in the bunker. I mean, this all of this is speculation and things like that. But this is a guy that they were really pinning to be the number one referee in the game like two years ago. And, mate, he's gone backwards. Like, honestly. Jared Sutton, dead set, that was one of the worst games he's got. He's got his eyes painted on. The amount of just rubbish calls uh, throughout the game against the Cowboys... We're, we're awful. And, like, the Chad Townsend one, all right, people are blowing up about, oh, that was soft to be Simbin. I can't excuse that one because it's a swinging arm to the head. And as we know, we are a pro uh, rule change podcast. 
a swinging arm to the head is a swinging arm to the head. And I don't care if it's Chad Townsend on anyone, Victor Radley or whoever it was, uh, Jared Rory Hargraves. Um, it's a swinging arm to the head. And whether it's careless, reckless, it doesn't matter. You go to the sim bin. That, that decision's fine with me. It's just all the other 50-50 calls seem to go the way of the team that is more fancied, more favoured. And that's something that Todd Payton is... Uh, pointed out in his press conference on last Saturday night. That's something that Justin Holbrook pointed out um, in round one against that absolute disgrace of a performance from the referee uh, against Parramatta. We said it in round one. They may as well have not even played that game, Parramatta versus Gold Coast, honestly, and just hand the game to Parramatta because every single call was given their way. So a lot has been made so far this week. I'm recording Tuesday night. Um, so this will obviously come out Wednesday morning. A lot has been said in the media post the Todd Payton comments regarding um, his comments. And a lot of the arguments that you see on Twitter and all of that sort of gear from the fans is, well, the Roosters are the most penalized team in the competition um, over the last five years. And Melbourne are one of the most penalized teams in the competition in the last five years. Yeah. The problem with that argument is that it's lazy because it's just numbers. It's pure numbers. It does not take any context into the way in which the penalties have been given. For example, I'd like to see calls that are basically discretionary calls 50-50 in the ruck and whether or not they are real penalties, soft penalties, hometown penalties. So all of those 50-50 calls. I want to see the sin bins for... Uh, repeat offenders and to see if they were actually penalties or that it was just, you know, more convenient to just call it and get rid of them and then kind of reset the the warning for the sin bin. Um, I want to know penalties that um, directly impact the score. How many, how many um, penalties uh, teams received that they score off straight away? Um, and there's another one I can't think of now that I had a list. Um, I should have wrote the list down. Oh, yeah, the time in which the penalties are given. Because we all know that referees have an unconscious bias. That That is a fact. And anyone who wants to come out from the NRL and deny um, that there is unconscious bias is, is a fool. Because then you wouldn't have things like Magic Round last week where they come in with this, this subconscious you know, dealing of literally anything gets a penalty. Um, and then the next week it's not that that's literally unconscious, but it's conscious bias as well, but it's, it's unconscious bias moving forward because then, you know, you get pinpointed like a Hetherington from the Bulldogs as, as this guy that just gets penalized when there's not actually penalties there. Um, I, I really want to see the square ups. So for example, let's say it's, it's Gold Coast versus Parramatta, right? And the game is in the balance and, and Parramatta score a lot of points and the game's kind of over with 10 to go. And then all of a sudden the Gold Coast start getting penalties. I, contextually, they don't count. They don't matter. They have no impact on the game. I, I honestly believe that if there was a metric that would be able to, to weed out all the square ups, all the um, you know junk time penalties, all of that sort of stuff, all of the penalties um, for the teams that gave away on the first tackle um, over the last two years. They've obviously changed that now. Get rid of all of those 
and focus in on the 50-50 calls, the crucial penalties um, that determine the outcomes of games, particularly points late in the game, I think you would find clear as anything a complete bias towards the Melbournes, the Roosters, the Parramatta's of the world, um, no doubt in my mind. And for the people that say that the uh, Roosters are the most penalised team in the competition and they don't get a fair rub of the green, let me remind you, you also won a premiership on a shitty call that was 50-50 at best and was given in your favour and directly led to points that gave you a premiership. So relax if you think that the numbers are you know, the be-all and end-all. For me, it's all about context. And I think if there was the ability to generate that sort of metric, I don't know what you would call it, contextual penalty count, something like that where you factor in some key indicators like the ones I've mentioned, you would 100% see the the total number versus the number of contextual penalties gained um, be completely different and would benefit um, the... Panthers, Roosters, Storm, Parramatta over the last three or four years. I have no doubt in my mind. So, yeah. The other thing about the refereeing is that, you know, first of all, I understand everyone blowing up about the rule changes and and now there's this a little bit of backlash in the media and from fans about Peter Vlanders is more concerned about television ratings and money than he is about the product of rugby league. And I go back to the point that I made in round one. This is the most watched four rounds in the history of rugby league. So don't sit there and say no one's watching or it's going to turn the fans off or anything like that. Whatever Peter Volandis is doing is generating eyeballs uh, on the television, which generates ad revenue, which generates more money for the NRL. So don't sit there and tell me that uh, people are turning away from the sport from the rule changes. Also, now that the rules have been changed, so first of all, or you know, from 2020 and 2021, all the old men yelling at clouds were saying, oh, the game's so fast and so quick and blah, 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 and this and that, it's not rugby league, we may as well be playing touch footy, are literally the same people that are now complaining about the rule change that was brought in to stop the complaining about the game being too fast. Now they're all saying it's too slow. What do you want? I think personally... The rules are fine the way that they are now. Penalizing those teams. So, so, you know, like I said in the bloody contextual penalty counts, all the Melbournes and the Penriths of the world automatically giving away set restarts on the first tackle, they don't do that anymore. And that actually allows for a more free-flowing game, believe it or not, because there's less people set in the defensive line. Gives the opportunity for the, for the team with the ball to try and attack from, you know, a long distance out instead of just getting a free tackle and they sit on the player for 10 seconds while the rest of the defensive line comes together and forms a better unit. Like, that's just fucking logic rugby league 101. Like, I don't understand where these people are like, oh, now the game's too slow. It's not too slow. It's it's faster than... It's so much faster than it was two or three years ago before any of the rule changes. So, uh, again, it's just this old man yelling at clouds and the whole media bias is just always negative no matter what it is no one seems to talk up the game it's all about 
crisis and who's in trouble and, and all of that sort of stuff. Let's focus on the product. Let's focus on the fact that this has been the most watched month of rugby league, regular season rugby league of all time. Why? Why? why sh- How is that not A1 news? Wouldn't, as Fox Sports and Channel 9, lead with that and say, hey, the game is stronger than it ever was thanks to the fans that keep watching? Like, I don't know. Maybe, am I the old man yelling at a cloud now? Am I the old man yelling at the cloud who's yelling at the old men yelling at the clouds? There's a mind fuck for you. All right, I've avoided the situation too long. We've got to talk about the ugly. It, it, I mean, it's potentially a contender for Olympus Dick game of the year. Game of all time. The Thursday night game, Titans v Tigers. Is that potentially the worst game of rugby league you've ever seen? In the era of over-exaggeration and overreaction and and you know ready to crown everything in all-time great. I can remember one game that I thought was so terrible and it was a Tigers versus Cowboys game. I think oh, I don't know the year. I think it was maybe 2015, I want to say 2013 maybe something like that. 2013, I'll say 2013. It was Origin, so all the Cowboys players are out. Tigers had no players, obviously. And uh, the score was 8 0, and they didn't, the Cowboys didn't score until the last five minutes of the game as well. And it was wet and it was cold. It was like, you know, Origin 2, so it was like early July, and it was just an absolute bludger of a game. I think, I, I mean, I. Definitely top three worst games I've ever witnessed. Uh, and I don't know what I would base that on. It's definitely top two from the ones that I can remember. But again, I think it's a little bit of recency bias. I'm sure there's worse games people have watched out there um, and, and have been played. Um, I also think, again, there's a bit of context to it is because it was the Tigers, um, you know, hadn't won a game, match under the pump, all that sort of stuff. Um but let's let's be honest. Let's flip it. If the Titans are fair dinkum, they win that game by fifty. Dead set, they win that game by fifty. I don't know what is happening at the Gold Coast, and I understand that last week, you know, there was a little bit of a flooding issue at their main training center and all that sort of stuff. Why isn't the game plan literally give it to the David Fafita? Like, like, give it to the Italians. Give it to David Fafita. Why aren't they just going two pass, here you go, mate, and, and run over James Roberts 20 times? Like, it's... He's the worst defender, worst defending center in the competition. And you've got the one of the most powerful, dynamic forwards in the game not getting the ball. What, like, what is happening at the Gold Coast? What was the game plan? How do you not put him on the right edge with James Roberts in front of him and just say, here, mate, have the ball 30 times today? He'd score four tries. He'd have he'd, he'd be three points in the Sweezies this week. It's absolutely baffling. Now, the tactics of the Tigers were just non-existent because they're so terrible. Um, it's just like, well, we're in the game and they... They just kept grinding and grinding and holding on and holding on. And the amount of drop ball from both teams was 
near historic. But you know what? The Tigers just needed a win. And you kick you kick the penalty and you think there's still too much time on the clock. The good teams, and this is the difference between the good teams and the bad teams, and again, we'll speak about this a little later in the next segment. Team like Melbourne would have taken the tap and not let the Gold Coast touch the ball the rest of the game. Plain and simple. Three minutes left, you take take the tap, put it in the end goal, drop out, there's another 40 seconds, you're down to less than a minute and a half. You, you do another set, you drop it in the end goal or kick it out on the one metre line and the game's over. Simple. No. We have to kick the penalty. Now, also, Grant Atkins turned the time off and gave us five seconds. When we saw the Parramatta Gold Coast game, Mitch Moses take two and a half minutes off the clock and everyone seemed to be fine with that. And then Luke Brooks was getting the, the hurry up to kick the goal. And you're just like, what are we doing? Take the minute and a half or whatever it is. It took seven seconds. <coughs> and gave him two and a half minutes to come back and, and win the game. And then the, the whole play about, you know, did Jock Madden really ground it with his bum and all that sort of stuff? And then what about the touch after it? To me, I thought that was fine. Uh, fine in the sense they got the call right. The problem is, how, how do you get into that position? Luke Brooks gives away a penalty for a high shot on Corey Thompson after one of the all-time shittest kicks to end a set. It should have just gone straight out, reset the line, and off you go. Nope, we had to put it up with no protection. Corey Thompson makes a 20-meter break. Luke Brooks tries to take his head off, and then they go 100 meters and score on in the last minute of the game. Now, how stupid do you have to be? They've, the Tigers defended so many tackles uh, with you know within the their twenty meter line. All game, all game, no dramas. Barely looked like scoring. The only time was that Corey Thompson one where he dropped it over the line. And then all of a sudden, everyone just just crumbled. They don't know how to win. Then you cut to Madge whose dead set looks like he's going to throw himself off the fucking balcony. Like, what do the Tigers have to do to win a game? We should have beaten Melbourne. Newcastle, they showed up as if they were out of finals contention with six weeks to go in round two. Should have beaten the Warriors and should have beaten the Gold Coast. Dead set, we are so close from being three and one. Yet we're languishing at the bottom of the table. And every news, rugby league show, sports show starts with Tigers in crisis. Welfare check nomination has to go to Madge. I'm sorry. This guy cannot do any more. And and still cannot get a win. It is unbelievable. Watching that finish, you, Vince McMahon couldn't have written a script more dramatic than the way that the Titans won that game. Yet here we are, 0-4, and the draw coming up is horrendous to the fact that we won't win a game until Magic Crown when we take on the Cowboys, where we're undefeated in uh, 
in Magic Round. And dare I say, if we do not win a game and then lose at Magic Round, I reckon that would be the curtains on Madge Maguire for a team that should be 3-1. and one. Uh, We're about to go 0-9, potentially 0-10. But good in good news, uh, the West Tigers have hit 20,000 members. Just got the email this evening. So even more people continue to sign up to the absolute garbage uh, that gets thrown at us on a weekly basis. All right, that, that concludes my rant. All right. I spoke a little bit about this, you know, just even just during the rant. The Tigers very close to three and one. And it goes to show that there's not much difference between a win and a resounding loss in the NRL. I wanted to highlight these two teams because I thought they copped unnecessarily unnecessary bashings in the media and online. The Cowboys and the Bulldogs. Now, spoke a little bit about it before. Jared Sutton had his eyes painted on. The Roosters were never going to lose that match. Uh, They'd been up and down all season. It was a must-win game for them. You know, team of destiny, they were never going to lose. Now, they were the better team. And I think every single person that is involved in rugby league knows that they were the better team. And to be fair, they deserved the victory. However... Did the Cowboys actually play that bad uh, to the reflection of the score? No. I thought the Cowboys played all right. I really like what Tommy Dearden's doing. I think the forwards can step it up a little bit, and Chad Townsend's still finding his feet, but um, Tamalolo had some good runs. Um, I like Neem, even though he got sin-binned two times, I think. Um, You can't can't win a match when, when you've got 12 men for for half an hour. You can't do it. Um, But again, if Roosters were fair dinkum, they would have taken full advantage. They had a lot of missed opportunities, but the Cowboys hung in there. Yeah, and they they didn't give up. And that's the other thing. They didn't give up. Um, So yeah, I I don't think they necessarily played that badly. And I don't think they deserve to be, you know, uh, Olympic team of the week or, or anything like that. Again, it was the Roosters were never going to lose that match with or without the refereeing. Um, but also the Cowboys didn't play that badly. I think there can be two things. Uh, you know, uh, both things can happen in the same game. And that's exactly what happened with the Bulldogs and the Storm. I don't think the Bulldogs actually played that poorly. Um, I just think Melbourne took advantage of every single opportunity they were given. I honestly can't remember a time where they didn't score a try off like a genuine good chance. Like there were a couple of half chances that they missed and things like that, but like a genuine good chance, they took full advantage every single time. And Harry Grant continues to, he's the best player in the competition. It's not Tommy Turbo. It's not um, Ryan Pappenhausen. It's not James Tedesco. It's not Nathan Cleary, uh, Jerome Luai. Um, who else? Katoni Staggs, throw him in there. He's been playing horrifically. Uh, it, uh, Luke Brooks, obviously, he's in the conversation for best player in the competition. Um, Harry, It's Harry Grant. He is lightning quick out of dummy half. Lightning. And that's what these rules are set up for. And why don't teams do this all the time? The Cowboys are trying. They've got three fucking hookers playing. 
I don't understand that rotation. I think that could be something that they could address. Um, but but is that the reason they're losing games? You know, no. Um, it worked fine for the, them to beat the Broncos, uh, you know, six days before. And that's something big as, as I go, as I circle back to the Tigers rant, because this will be full of Tigers rants. Uh, Jake Little, he's done. The game is past him. And Damian Cook, like, discuss. Are we at that point where Damian Cook, the game's past him? Everyone thought out of any player in, in the comp, who would the new rules benefit the most? Damian Cook. Mate, he's doing nothing. Harry Grant is doing laps around the cat. Um, he just he just made the Bulldogs look silly. But, uh, but again, I just don't think the Bulldogs actually had like that poor of a game. I think they completed sets well. They just never got the opportunity to get the ball in a good position. And when they did, they were just monstered. And then, you know, they're, they're a halfback and a hooker short uh, for me. And again, I keep saying that I've said things before, but I keep saying things before. Um, Kyle Flannard again, obviously in persistent rumors about Luke Brooks. Is he going to Leeds with his old man? Blah, 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 blah. They're a halfback and a hooker short. Now they get Reed Marnie coming in. Uh, next year. Manny Burton can't do it on, on his own. He's a very, very good player, but here we, we're seeing him being found out like we're seeing Adam Reynolds being found out that, you know, they really need uh, a team moving forward to be their best. Now, all halfbacks should obviously be flat track bullies like Mitch Moses, but the really great ones like JT was able to do more with less and I don't expect Matty Burton to turn this ship around by himself in four weeks. Um, but I, I think there's something there. And, um, yeah, I don't think it's all doom and gloom as the scoreline suggests. I just think, again, Melbourne, I mean, there's, there's something else. When they're, when they're rocking, um, it, they're going to be tough for anyone to stop. Um, all right, let's get into uh, Novak Djokovic Flog of the Year update. Um, this one goes back to episode 163 when the news broke that the Parramatta Eels were locking out um, games against the West, home games against the West Tigers and Penrith Panthers in order for their 30,000 members to um, buy tickets um, and essentially lock out everyone else because. You know, as as people on Twitter pointed out to me, oh, if you've got thirty thousand members, um, then why not, um, you know, get give them first preference and lock everyone else out because you know we'll obviously buy them all. Well, we are what three weeks away from that game, and um, public tickets are available in all sections. Lots to uh, plenty, plenty of seats to be bought. So all those 30,000 Parramatta um, members that were supposed to buy all the tickets and not give anyone else a chance, um, they've seemed to have disappeared. Now, all you Parramatta fans that would come out to me and say, oh, yep, uh, oh, why would we even go and bother watching the Tigers-Eels game? The Eels are going to win by 50. Um, it's not even worth our time. Th- that's not the point. The point is your club, on principle, said, we're not having any of this. We've got so many members, and we're just going to lock everyone out, give, them, give uh, our fans a chance to buy all the tickets, and look what happens. No one bought the tickets. 
Like, it's the principle. Taking the game away from the fans goes against everything rugby league is about. It goes against everything rugby league is about. It's the game that everyone can play. And to take the opportunity for people to see the game away is wrong. It's wrong. And here the justification is right now. It just shits me. It shits me to tears that a club like Parramatta, who haven't won anything for 40 years, all of a sudden thinks that this is their year and they've got the arrogance to lock games out of the fans? Are you kidding me? And then, go, everyone, go look on Ticket Tech and see how many tickets are available for the Tigers, public tickets are available for the Tigers-Eels game. The level of arrogance is disgusting. And I hope the NRL looks at this, realizes they've made a huge mistake by letting this happen, and this situation never happens again. And that's all I'll say on that. All right. So let's do a little bit of international flavor. Let's get into the American correspondent. March Madness wraps up with one of the all-time great national championship games, one of the all-time great... Final fours. Uh, Kansas comes back from 15 points down at halftime to take uh, the national championship away from North Carolina, who in the semifinals took out Duke University. Uh, Coach K um, rides off into the sunset with a semifinal loss against his arch rival college. Um, There was the argument that North Carolina played their national championship in the semifinal against Duke. Um, that seemed to be a myth once <laughs> at halftime, um, but Kansas came out and came through with a historic comeback and a historic victory. Um, commiserations to those who uh, listened to me on the pod and um, backed Villanova no matter what. Um, as I mentioned, their time uh, was up. Uh, Justin Moore getting injured there at the uh, end of the Elite Eight game. Um, they were never going to... Uh, win against Kansas, but they put up a good fight. And that, that's all you can ask for. Um, and they'll be back uh, sooner rather than later. There's a little bit of on the take because there is some footage being uh, circulated about the the uh, side that North Carolina were um, there at their attacking end of the court in the second half um, was was literally uneven and you could see their star player, I can't remember his name, in the last minute roll his ankle and you can see the court actually move underneath his foot. Now, how the hell does that happen? I have absolutely no idea, um, but it was a little concerning um, and may have played a, a factor in the end result. I'm going to stick with basketball because the American correspondents come up with Olympic team of the week. It is the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, They have fallen out of the play-in spot. So in the NBA, they've moved towards um, two play-in games for seventh and eighth spots. So seventh plays eighth. Winner winner, uh, becomes seventh. Nine plays ten. Loser is out. Winner plays the loser of the seven eight for the last remaining playoff spot. Um, the Lakers are now out of that tenth spot um, for a team with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, 
and a whole bunch of other seasoned veterans um, this season. If you think the West Tigers season is a shambles in week four, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers are having one of the all-time great meltdown seasons. Um, R- Russell Wilson can't shoot the basketball. He, he's It's worse than Ben Simmons was. And we all know how that turned out. That that was that was horrendous, um, and it, it's it's on that level. And there's been so much backlash. Look, Kareem, Kareem of all people, Mister Nice Guy is coming out and just absolutely blasting um, the attitude of the Lakers, in particular LeBron James. LeBron made a comment like, oh, I don't even know the context, and it's paraphrasing, but it's essentially like a reporter was asking him, like, you know, it's really tough times out there. You know, the Lakers are really struggling. Like, what are you doing to turn around? He's like, man, I'm having the time of my life. And then, like, the Lakers fans are like. Dude, you're like out of the playoffs. How in the Lakers jersey with, you know, some of the top 20 players in the league, you, you know, that you're surrounded by. How are you having the time of your life? Um, again, out of touch comments from LeBron James is nothing new. Um, so, yeah. But again, my Phoenix Suns are, are absolutely rolling. Lost a couple, but getting rested. They've clinched top spot in the West. Um Watch out for Boston uh, in the East as well. If you want a little bit of little bit of a dabble there, uh, Boston for Eastern Conference champions might be a little bit of a play there. So, a little bit of a tip from the American correspondent. Oh, and of course, uh, welfare check nomination of the year. Uh, we might have to crown this now. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to go early crow, but. Uh, uh, if you know Will Smith, you call him and make sure that everything's all right. Cause I don't think it is. Uh, let's just leave it at that. Um, European correspondent, not with us, but, uh, has sent some stuff in, uh, for our courtesy of the European correspondent segment. F1 in Melbourne this week. And, um, the European correspondent wanted to point out that there's a couple of track changes, um, for this season's Grand Prix uh, in in Melbourne, um, basically to accommodate the cars, but also provide more of the DRS zones. So, what does that mean with the DRS? Um, you know, you got to check has it hit the wickets uh, more than fifty percent, but it also means more chaos on the F one track. So, could be a wild showing um, for for the hottest ticket in town uh, for one of the you know, weirdest and wildest sporting events over the last, or, or sports, I should say, over the last couple of years. Um, more, the the ability for more chaos or the potential for more chaos is going to be must-watch television. So uh, everyone get behind the F1. Can Daniel Ricciardo stay on the track? I don't even, I, it, the, the conversation has gone from can he win to can he stay on the track? Um that that's how bad he's going. Uh, let's see what happens. Hopefully, he can do something for the uh, the home crowd. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm not hopeful, even as a casual viewer. Uh, and the European correspondent is not hopeful either. Um, but wait, is that? It can't be. No, it is. Who would have thought? Wrestling correspondency. 
Yes, the wrestling correspondent has gotten in touch because WrestleMania 38 is wrapped up. Um, the celebrities outshone the wrestlers. Um, Pat McAfee, Stone Cold coming back, Johnny Knoxville and the uh, Jackass crew, and Logan Paul, um, of all people. Um, now, what does that say about professional wrestling when I lead with the fact that the celebrities were the ones that shone more than the wrestlers? Um, it, it just goes to show that it's lacking heart. Like, you've got... This is, you know, arguably a golden age of wrestling in the sense that, you you know, the talent is just unbelievable across the board. You've got AEW coming up. You've got a lot of um, startup companies that are generating interest and all of that sort of stuff. Oh, pardon me. Oh, it's been a long day. Um, you've got all of that sort of stuff. Like, it's on the up. And the showcase of the Immortals, WrestleMania, um, is being overshadowed and overrun by celebrity appearances and all of that sort of stuff. Now, it doesn't help that your main event is an absolute waste of time. Brock Lesnar versus um, Roman Reigns. We all know what what the result was going to be. Um, That doesn't mean it had to be a complete dud um, that it was. But again, it just goes to show that that that, you know, putting it over two days is more about money. It lacks that heart. We all go back to the WrestleMania 17 where they had the three-minute promos for each match because throughout the start of the year, the, the rivalries were building and it got so personal and so intense that, that you know, th- the meeting at WrestleMania actually meant something. Now it's just like, let's just throw as many people out there as we can so that they can have their, quote, WrestleMania moment. Um and with that, you lose the heart of it all. And I think that that's what was disappointing for me. Now, will anything ever be as good as WrestleMania 17 ever again? Absolutely not. And I, and I am well aware of that. And so is the wrestling correspondent. But you still got the ability. You've got the talent there. You've got the actual wrestlers, not the celebrities there, that can generate a good emotional, you know, show. Um, but that's not what they seem to want to do, um, which, you know, says more about the WWE than about the wrestling talent. So yeah, a little bit concerning. Um, yeah. Is it going to get any better? I don't know. But the Pat McAfee, he was great. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was entertaining. Logan Paul did really well. Like it, it was good. But, like, why does Logan Paul have to do it? Why couldn't you get, like, an actual wrestler to, like, do it? That That's what I'm trying to get at. Um, and also a shout-out. Edge has changed his theme music. This has only happened recently because um, he's gone heel. It's a bit more dark and mysterious and demonic, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, the bloke with the greatest wrestling theme song, like, ever now doesn't use it like yeah strange i get what they're trying to do but like why like yeah it's the best it's the best one and now it's gone baffling thank you to the uh wrestling correspondency for that all right let's get into the super coach 
our scores. But before we do, we have a Sporting Woods mailbag. Um, don't forget, if you want uh, to write in questions, comments, suggestions for new um, segments, uh, nominations for current segments, Sweezy's ideas, Stump the Boys. Uh, we're looking to return Stump the Boys. So if you have a sports question um, that you can provide multiple choice for, uh, send it Send it all to sportingwoodspodcast at gmail.com. That is sportingwoodspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, this person writes, Dear Sporting Woods, I am sick and tired they were in caps of being completely disrespected by you during the super coach roundup. I am the two time defending sporting woods cup champion. And it's still called an upset when I beat Benny G. I am requesting you bring back an old segment. Show me some damn respect to show me some damn respect in the super coach game. Thanks. Matthew H. AKA the bad dad. Well, strong words, emotional language uh, used by the bad dad. Um, but for him, we will bring back our fan favorite segment, uh, show some damn respect. Uh, two-time defending champion, a bunch of hunts. I said hunts. Get the victory over Benny G last week. Um, Benny G's got the runs on the board. I think that's the problem. He's the Mendoza line. So anytime he loses... Uh, it is an upset, regardless of what happens. Now, you might say that's just bias because of my affiliation with Benny G. Um, but, you know, we don't make up Mendoza lines and call them the revolution lines uh, for no one. Uh, so, Benny G will always remain the eternal favorite um, of any super coach matchup. So, any victory over the Mendoza line is an upset. But we will show you some damn respect, Matthew H, a.k.a. the bad dad. Um, but now you've called, you kind of called yourself out now. Uh, so the target is on your back. Can you three-peat uh, the El Tigre Chinos? Uh, shades of the El Tigre Chinos in simulated online cricket. Um, so with that, let's go through some results. It was the second round of the head-to-head with the Sporting Woods Cup. And here you are. Well, speaking of the Revolution Mendoza line, he gets a victory over the Mad Kents. I said Kents, 1335 to 1274. A bunch of hunts, I said hunts, had an easy victory. Um, order is restored yet again. Hashtag on the plonk, uh, second lowest score in the league. Uh, 1342 to 897. Wow. Uh, Coagulators get the victory over Boots and Cats, 1294 to 989. The worst 17, uh, Andrew gets the victory over Joey Jojo Shabadoo, 1217 to 1105. FNQ Moonshine is Juzzy T of the NRL Supercoach Talk podcast. Uh, he remains on top with a resounding victory over the Pig Dogs. Uh, Daddy Hackett, 106, uh, 1353 to 1064. Uh, Killer Katana gets a victory in the, uh, closest match of the round, 1027 against Wayne O. Gummy Sharks, 1004. And Avalanche with a cruise against Dogs of War, 
11952814. So what does that look like for head-to-head? After two rounds, the FNQ Moonshine is on top um, in a tie for first, four-way tie for first with a bunch of hunts. I said hunts, the worst 17 and the coagulators. The Revolution Mendoza line sits in at fifth in a, what's that, a six-way tie for second on two points with... Killer Katana, the Pig Dogs, Avalanche, Boots and Cats, and Gummy Sharks. And rounding out the towel, the Mad Kents. I said Kents. Uh, they're in 11th. Hashtag on the Plonk 12. Joey Jojo, Shabadoo 13th. And Dogs of War in last place. What does that mean for total score? Well, as per, we'll generally stop it around the 20,000 mark. FNQ Moonshine is 4424 for an overall score. Uh, overall rank of 1840. Juzzy T in the top 2000. Closely followed by a bunch of hunts. I said hunts 4386 for an overall rank of 2882. The Revolution Mendoza line sits in at 9558 overall rank. The Mad Kents fall back uh, into 15757. And then the worst 17, 22,363. Coagulators, 23,105. And it drops off a cliff. Dane O, not even on the page. That's how terrible you're going. All right, let's get into tipping. Now, we were bashing this bloke last week, and then he's come out and had a meteoric rise up the ladder. Um, But we'll start down the bottom. Uh, he called his shot early, hashtag ride or die. He picked every game before the season started, and it is paying off because he is two points clear in last place on 16. Hanlon and uh, Hackett 23, both in on 18. Uh, one point behind Medicine underscore Balls. Benny L 91, welcome to the competition. A late entrance. Uh, shout out Benny L91. Hope you're doing well on the fairways, son. Yun Sang, the cousin of Yun, uh, Sun Yang, also there on 19 points. Dogs of War, um, tied for fourth with the Wolverine 27. And Juzzy TJT250 gets a perfect round. Um, so it goes from last to fifth, uh, in overall standings. Um, the sixth captain, uh, all alone there on 21 points in third place. And Joey Jojo Jr. Shabadoo, he falls behind, uh, or he loses a point, I should say, and that takes him into a tie of the lead with CWA for 10% minimum wage increase. Um, so, yeah, still, what, four, four tips between first and 11th and then Luke two behind that. So that's how good Luke's going to go. I'm so glad, I'm so glad this is going the way that he is going to be last. Like I'm so happy for that. I can't tell you how happy I am for that. All right, let's get into the sweezies. You think you know me. Shame we'll never hear that at the WWE anymore. You'll have to tune into Sporting Woods just to listen to the Edge theme song. I mean, scenes. Who would have thought we would be the uh, the uh, medium for Edge theme songs? Uh, April 8, 2012. Uh, Bubba Watson 
in the second playoff hole at the Masters, hits a 90-degree hook shot out of the bark um, on the 10th, the second playoff hole, uh, gets it within 10 foot to win his first Masters green jacket. Uh, go and YouTube Bubba Watson Masters 2012. He literally hooked it 90 degrees and put it within 10 foot of the hole uh, at the Masters on the second playoff hole. It doesn't get bigger than that. Uh, would put Tiger Woods 2019, but we obviously did that last year. So, you know, you got to mix it up a little bit. A um, little bit of foreshadowing for the spicy matchup. All right, one point. I hate doing it. Hate it, hate it, hate it. But got to show him some damn respect, just like we showed uh, the bad dad. It's Mitch Moses. He had a great game. Had a great game. Are St. George pathetic? Absolutely. Does that mean he should get downgraded? Well, he's been downgraded probably from two points to one. Um, again, this is Parramatta's last year. Papali'i's going. Reed Marnie's going. Dylan Brown contract negotiations. Who knows what's happening there? As a, they've, got a, they've spent a lot of the cap on you know current players and they haven't resigned everyone. This is it for them. And if they're going to be a chance, Mr. Moses needs to be their best player, needs to be the Daly M winner, if they're a chance to win the comp. And he put his front front foot forward, best foot forward, um, against a hapless dragon side. Uh, two points. Ryan Pappenhausen. He could do no wrong against the Bulldogs. And again, the Bulldogs didn't play that badly. Um, but... Every opportunity they were given, they took full advantage, and Ryan Pappenhausen was there the whole time. Um, Harry Grant obviously featured a lot as well, um, but Pappenhausen, four tries, super coach, 388 or 78 um, if he captained in, uh, like I did. Um, again, it just goes to show, like, they all re-signed and all of that sort of stuff, and I haven't spoken about the on-the-take there with the Brayton Astor contract negotiations with... Cam Munster, but I mean, if that's not a conflict of interest, like I'm the Queen of England, like just call me Lizzie. Dead set. I, I don't understand. But Ryan Pappenhausen, you know, he got the Matt Nable narration uh, from Fox League before. Um, so I'm sure they're thrilled um, that their big promo for the week uh, got up. So uh, good on him. Ryan Pappenhausen asserts himself as one of the top five players in the competition. Um, but three points has to be, cannot go to anyone else, a historic performance which will go down in cricket history, Alyssa Healy, 170 in the World Cup final, uh, takes over Adam Gilchrist, uh, highest score in a World Cup final, um, obviously 2007 with the ping pong, uh, with the squash ball in the, uh, in the glove one of the greatest uh, one-day innings of all time. Um, that has been usurped by Alyssa Healy, who uh, literally dominated from start to finish. What what an incredible performance. Uh, again, uh, highest ever total runs in a World Cup 500. Rachel Haynes had the record. Uh, she had 497, and then that was beaten during the match by Alyssa Healy. Um, won him a World Cup. Uh, what else can you say? Um, great to see Mitchell Stark there with her. Um, great to see just 
like, yes, it's New Zealand, and yes, it was played essentially at a suburban ground. People stayed around. Like, it was, like, cold and wet or damp and dewy and, um, you know, like, there was no real amenities or shade or, or you know, um, anything away from the elements. And, and, like, the fans stayed the whole time. So that was that was good to see. And, and they were witnessing greatness, literally, and, and Shiver as well. What a fantastic innings that, you know, was giving everyone a bit of anxiety there. You thought, oh, they need 120 off 75 balls. They're no chance. And then it just kept creeping down and down and down. And when Charlie Dean tried to reverse sweep and look doing her best Usman Khawaja impersonation of getting out in the most awful way possible, um, then it was over. Then everyone could breathe a sigh of relief. But fantastic ever from the girls. Um Historic performance by Alyssa Healy. Three points. Can't go to anyone else. All right. Let's get into the spicy matchup sponsored by Sriracha. As per, I don't have the sound board here, um, so we're just going to have to hum it. But I still I still want you guys to sing it on the second go. That's what I want. So we'll, we'll do it as is the recent tradition. Um, the spicy matchup sponsored by Sriracha. <coughs> Sriracha, your turn. Yes, we're working on the harmonies much better. I like it. Okay. Um, an incredible week uh, and weekend coming up in sports. We've got the country championships on at Randwick. Uh, we've got the Formula One, um, Rugby League, AFL. Uh, you, I think there's a UFC on. Don't hold me to any of that. Um, but it doesn't compete with the Masters. Um, the Masters is back this weekend at Augusta. Um, an incredible amount of hype um, built around it by none other than Tiger Woods. Um, he is still touch and go as we record this podcast on Tuesday night. They do re- require alternates. So it was 50-50. I think it's 90-10. Um, that he will play. Um, so yeah, after coming back after his, uh, horrific car crash, he almost lost his leg, uh, almost lost his life, uh, to be honest. Um, there's been talks because the Augusta, uh, course is so hilly. It's so demanding on, on the legs, um, in terms of the walk. And, and that's something that gets, uh, understated. Um, you know, it's such a long course. Um, and yes, they, the guys don't have to carry or wheel their bags and blah, 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 blah. Um, but you still got to walk it. Like, you know, the mental strain that these people are under, um, coupled with the fact that, you know, it's, it's the toughest walk, uh, in all of professional golf. Um, you know, it, it does that up. And for a guy who almost lost his leg, what, a year and a half ago or not even, um, it's tough. Um, so all reports was on the, um, practice round, he got through it okay and was striping him very well. Um, but yeah, it'll just be, an, uh, you know, a, a test of endurance for him. But as we've seen, Tiger Woods has won a major, uh, on a broken leg and a torn ACL. Uh, he's done it before. He won a US Open on an 18 hole playoff, um, on one leg. So if there's anyone that can do it in the golfing fraternity, it is Tiger Woods. Now, do I expect him to make the cut? No, I don't. Um, but that doesn't mean that all eyes will be on um, Tiger um, for the first two days. So 
myself included. I'll be up early watching it. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's a spectacle. It's it's essentially the Super Bowl of golf. Um, yeah, so it'll be an incredible four days. Um, lots of Aussies in there. Minwoo Lee, uh, Cam Davis as well. Uh, not Cam Smith, Cam Davis. Cam Smith is obviously there. Uh, Adam Scott uh, might be a little bit of a smoky uh, for those who like a little cheeky bet. Um, yeah, it's a very wide open field. I don't know who you're going to go with. Um, so I won't necessarily um, have a bet, but um, yeah, I don't know. Tiger making the cut. If there's some decent odds there, you might have a look at that. But I think the field's wide open. And, and golf these days, it, it's like rugby league. Yeah, you're millimeters off from missing the cut or winning the tournament. Um, that That's the margin of error now in, in the days of professional golf and how, how, how close and competitive the tournaments are these days. Um, so, yeah, should be a fantastic weekend of sport, um, but uh, nothing will... Uh, top the masters for me um f1 maybe we'll see but uh yeah it's got to be the masters for me all right that wraps up episode 168 how do we go for time one hour four about the same as last so that's not too bad hopefully next week the boys are out of isolation and stop playing silly buggers and uh we can all get back together for episode 169 lol um but until then Enjoy the footy, enjoy the racing, enjoy the racing. Uh, Enjoy the UFC if that's what you're into. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Peace out.